Okay, so the recording started now. Um, and I'll start letting people in here shortly. Do you ever read um, Journal of Healthcare Management? Or can you even see that there? Uh, I have, not recently. Okay. Well, yeah, they I just had this thing that came out about blockchain. And um, it had some very light topical mm -hmm. things in here, but um, I was I was wondering if you had read it. So um, no, no. Is it the the most recent copy? Yeah, yeah. Technology and innovation have also changed work dynamics. New industries and jobs have grown exponentially in the past twenty years as a <clears> result <throat> of the widening adoption of intelligent cyber physical systems, or the fourth industrial revolution. So they didn't. It's very topical. It, um, it doesn't get into what we kind of talk about in our uh, market segment, but it's just interesting. I was wondering if you had seen it. So, no, Anyhow. no. I have so many things I want to read or whatever, but there's you know, <laughs> there's so much to do. Oh, tell me about it. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, it's not quite time yet. Um, yeah, you know how many folks are. There's there were 24 that um RSVP'd. Um but uh I sent out the Zoom link to quite a few people. So uh hopefully we get that. I've been noticing that um on these um LinkedIn mostly advertised ones that Tori likes me to do more than anything, um, that there are a lot of people who just watch the videos late later. Yeah. Um, which I do as well. Um, um, when I get around to it, if there's something that I really like, so make the content good, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> do my best. All right, I'll do my best. Uh, do you, do you have any problems with the link or anything? No, no, no. Okay. It took me. I had to like with the Zoom thing. You have to re-register for some reason. It's kind of weird, but it was okay. Okay. I don't, Zoom's not my favorite. I wish it wasn't the industry <clears throat> standard, but oh well. Yeah, I hear you. Too many buttons, if you ask me. Yeah, it's got a lot of features. It's become kind of a platform of itself. They want it to be so user-friendly that they've ended up putting hundreds of buttons and it's like, what the hell? But anyhow, okay. Uh, I'll wait a couple more minutes before I admit everybody. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Are you going to be at the uh, conference next month? I am. Yay. I am. I'm excited to see you, meet you in person. Yeah, um, uh, don't be upset if I'm too much of a, I mean, I'm a fanboy of like all of, all of, uh, basically all of you guys, uh, Dr. Kahana mm -hmm. to you. So for Thank me, you. it's, I'm like, I'll have to tell Tori to give me some Xanax or something so I don't start hugging people. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, give it one or two more minutes. Sure. How many of these have you done? I know you've done a few of them. This will be the third or fourth one 
Third like, one. Third one. Yeah. Where do you post them? Like, is there like a YouTube channel or where is it posted? It's posted on the Blockchain and Healthcare Today YouTube channel. Oh, okay. or, and, and their library. I'd like to put it in my library, but it's not really my presentation. So, but um, I do do it as an envelope um, service for um, for um, Tori. So yeah, I didn't I didn't even realize that they had a YouTube channel blockchain. And you know, yeah, um, there it's there. Um, um, I think people do it more for the um, credit, I guess you could say. Um, and um, you, you may need to send me the link because I'm for some reason I cannot find it. Um, <laughs> I will have to look that up for you, Tori. Maybe Tori has them in a separate library. Yeah, yeah. So. And maybe yeah. they actually I can see her being so proprietary is probably on the website, to tell you honestly. Oh, really? Okay. I, I, I don't know. But I'm about to admit everybody. Are you ready here? Yes, sir. All right. Okay. 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 <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, sorry, I've had bad COVID, so I've got my camera off. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So I'll, okay. I'll be Go listening if that's all right. That is. Is that fine. you, Ryan? Yeah. That, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> is that Shirin? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to finally meet, yeah. see you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not feeling too per I'm feeling crap. So I mean, okay. yeah. Any, any right. anyway, I'm looking okay. forward to listening. <laughs> All right, if everybody can mute themselves so that uh, Jim and I can have a conversation here, that'd be great. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Uh, all right, welcome to Blockchain and Healthcare today's presentation and a series titled Utility in Healthcare. This series is meant to highlight pioneers who have taken experiential knowledge to business application. Today, we are speaking with Jim Nasser, CEO of Acor, company driven by building usable software committed to interoperability by design through open application program interfaces. It's focused on innovation through blockchain and distributed ledger technologies to impute computational trusts and elevate our <laughs> software to be a source of truth. Um, that is uh, a course definition for themselves. Um, before we get into that uh, great conversation, I'd like to inform people of the mission of Blockchain and Healthcare Today. Blockchain and Healthcare Today is the world's first peer-reviewed journal that amplifies and disseminates blockchain and medical healthcare information. Distributed ledger technology research and innovations in healthcare, information systems, clinical computing and networking systems, um, and biomedical services sector. It is considered the preeminent gold open access journal and is published on a continuous basis to accelerate sharing rigorously vetted theoretical and experiential knowledge required for a growth sector. Um, there is an upcoming seminar. Uh, the community has one in Austin, Texas on September 15th. 
Uh, don't miss the opportunity to meet uh, several of the professionals um, that uh, Blockchain and Healthcare Today highlights and works with, including Jim here. Um, from around the globe, um, working on accessible, healthy futures from every angle you could imagine. Um, the knowledge that I grasp from um, these conversations every time are very um, good for learning more about healthcare and blockchain, basically. Um, the, uh, if you have any questions for this speak, uh, for this uh, chat, put them in the chat area and we'll try to get to them after uh, the session of Jim and I speaking here. And uh, with that, uh, let's go to Jim Nasser here. Uh, just a little personal history about Jim. So Jim's company um, is focused on healthcare to begin with, but that's because I believe he was the chief software architect of the Centers for Disease Control. Um, and that has spurred perhaps your growth into the sector that we are in now, Jim, would you say? with your um, growth. Um, I, I think there's just too many things to say about you. I don't know what else to say. Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> would you like to go into a lengthier um, history of yourself? Perhaps? That sounds quite boring, Ryan, but I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, certainly being at the CDC, uh, whether the appetite, I, I've been in healthcare in, in some bits and parts before that and then, uh, certainly since the CDC, I've been um, almost entirely focused on healthcare, global health. Uh, I was in the pharma industry for a couple of years. Um, you know, I've been kind of kicked around in different parts of healthcare industry for the last several years. So, um, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it's really interesting. To me, it's an interesting uh, industry because, you know, it is, I think as most of us can attest, uh, very at least in the US, inefficient, ineffective, uh, you know, stodgy, backwards. I mean, there's all kinds of adjectives. You can describe it with, you know, quite unkindly, yet the people, you know, who are in it, the physicians, um, you know, they're the practitioners are, are really, uh, you know, many of them are, are world, you know, kind of world-class and extraordinary in what they do and they're highly dedicated. So, so, so there's something amiss, right? There's, it doesn't add up, especially when you look in the US, the amount of money that's spent almost 20% of the gross domestic product uh, and the return on the investment, you know, is, is ludicrously low, uh, ludicrously low. Um, you know, and, and then you have things like the kind of the, what's called the ERAM law, where, you know, it's, it's like the literal opposite of, of Moore's law in, in terms of lack of progress and, and, and delays and, and more costs and lack of productivity in, in clinical research, uh, you know, over the course of five, six, seven decades versus the opposite that we've seen with Moore's law. So there, there's all kinds of things that to me are interesting, you know, kind of systematically, you know, thinking and, and, and looking at why is it that it's like this? And, and I think many times, um, you know, I hear this comment that, well, you know, it's, it's because, you know, it's by human lives or it's because it's regulated and things like this. And I think that's, that's, that largely does not hold water, you know, that there are other industries that deal with uh, you know, highly sensitive topics um, you know, and, and situations that are way more efficient. Um, so, you know, I think none of it is people like us, all of us on this call and, and hopefully others watching in time, uh, you know, we're trying to um, 
address things and, and improve certain things because you know it's necessary. So that's that's really it, you know, in terms of background and I, my motivations. I think it's the challenge too. The challenge is because if you're like me, um, I love healthcare so much that the challenge is if you like blockchain too, is how do you get those two together? And um that's what I that's what I find very um, advantageous about it. So he works a lot with uh, the Hedera Hashgraph, everybody. Um, and Hedera Hashgraph um, has similarities and differences from blockchain. And a lot of the projects that Jim has done are through uh, the Hashgraph. Um, although, um, as we have spoken, a lot of the applications he does um, are universal, perhaps, in an application. So... Um, with that, I think we're going to get into the actual meat of the conversation here. And um, what, how would you describe a course model for business? Yeah, uh, you know, that's a good question, Ryan. So, you know, you did describe, and, and it certainly is true that we are focused on healthcare and, and um, global, global health, public health, all of these healthcare kind of concerns. However, as a company, we are a product company and, and really our focus is to build um, software. We're a software company, that's how we define ourselves. And, and really the, the model that, that we have, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day, is that we kind of consider ourselves, uh, if you like using the metaphor of a, of a watchmaker, we consider ourselves as a movement maker, as, as the, the gear developer, because that, that's a high precision you know, low, you know, kind of full tolerance, low kind of um, fragility type of, of space, right? Those gears really need to work. They need to work as expected. They need to work under duress uh, in different kind of compartments and different machines. So that that's really what we try to do is, is to build uh, the machines. Another metaphor that I've used recently is this idea that, you know, if, if you consider uh, blockchain technologies, whether it's Hashgraph or, or Ethereum or whatever, it doesn't matter, Bitcoin. Um, if you consider those as really like your um, highway or superhighway, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, there are lots of people who are building uh, different kinds of cars, right? You know, and, and those cars, without the cars, you know, the, the highway is just, you know, uh, like a pretty uh, facade. It doesn't really serve that kind of much of a purpose, right? you have to actually get on it. So, so there are lots of developers building things. And of course, you know, we hear often about the, the cryptocurrency type of, of space and the DeFi space and, and metaverse now and, and uh, you know, and up, up and coming other spaces using blockchain, gaming, um, healthcare space uh, that, that we're interested in. So, so if you consider those guys <coughs> building, if you like vehicles, different kinds of vehicles, you know, fast sports cars or, or family stands or trucks or whatever. Um, then the question is, well, well, you know, where does a gear maker fall into this space? And, and I think that the reality is, if you look at those vehicle makers, it will be foolish for them to build everything themselves. Like no, no, you know, manufacturer of a car would build, for instance, every single component that goes into it. Otherwise, they're really not focusing on building the car. You know, so, so you wouldn't expect you know, like for instance, Ford to become Michelin, right? Michelin is focusing on building tires. Uh, you know, and so that's the way, that's that's the visual, that's that's the metaphor for us. That we're building, you know, if you like the components, 
that go into other people's machines. We have really helped the machine maker build their machines because some of those components are really, um, you know, they're difficult to build uh, in the context of blockchain. This only requires significant amount of expertise that have to be built to be anti-fragile, to, to scale, to be you know, very cost uh, effective, you know, to, to be maintained, all of these things. Um, and, and, and it's kind of not to talk too much software, but but in our world, we're trying to build software that can that can be basically consumed very, very easily by third parties uh, or our clients in you know, however shape or form, you know, and really as in a form of, of open uh, interoperable APIs, uh, application programming interfaces. And, and a good analogy would be like, for instance, if you, if you use um, uh, something like Google Maps, right, you know, you like you just put in some coordinates and, and you get a pretty map and you get other functions. You have no idea how Google built it, what kind of databases are behind the scenes, uh, you know, like, like what the transaction flow looks like, none of those things, right? Um, you know, and, and you just use it in a very simple way. That's really the, the model that we have for our, our technology and, and the, the metaphor of, of building gears that are consuming other people's you know, machines, but, but really building those gears very, very well. So when you consume them, they work, you know, they're, they're reliable, you, you pay a low or reasonable price for them. The price is not uh, a variable because that makes no sense. Like no business wants to have, um, you know, suppliers where the, the price goes up and down or usually up, right? And it's unpredictable because it's very, very difficult to have a business model that, that works off of that. So that, those are the kind of motivations that we have. That's the way we, we think about building software. And, and the whole, you know, you mentioned this at the beginning, this idea of usability. Uh, our whole thinking is if we're going to improve our clients' lives, if, if we're going to move the needle, our technology needs to just work behind the scenes. It needs to be abstracted. Uh, it needs to, you know, if, if not improve usability, certainly not uh, hinder it. Mm -hmm. So, so th those are the kind of things we think about. That's really our, our daily MO. And that's what we've done for the last you know, three, four years, building software in, in this kind of way. Okay. Uh, so... That's good, because when we talk about a digital identity, and we were talking about this, a self-sovereign identity is really something that someone can assign themselves. Um, if so, they want to do that, there's your abstraction for that, uh, the self-sovereign identity. So then you get into a digital identity, and that's something that's more institutional. And so then I think what Jim's trying to say here is, uh, and he did say, is that he really thinks that a digital identity, or you think that a digital identity would be hard to implement um, or build out completely. So you're doing the, a great approach, which is building the parts that would go into someone who perhaps wanted to build a digital identity or incorporate pieces of your software. Yeah, I mean, not, not just digital identity, that's really one use case only. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think what is important is that we don't we don't have a hammer nail manifesto where, where everything is, you know, looks like a nail just because we have a hammer. So, you know, you can have digital identity without having um, a blockchain or at least a public blockchain. Just And also one of the little qualifiers that when I think of blockchain, when I speak about blockchain uh, or, or this uh, distributed ledger technologies, my focus, you know, is really has been since for, for many years on public manifestations, not a quote enterprise or private or, or somewhat, you know, mm -hmm. kind of um, 
wall garden type of thing because to me you don't really get the the real benefit of of the transparency or or talking economics or or security or, or things like this but that's a whole different conversation but back to the point that we're making uh ryan you know digital or or decentralized identity and, and self-sovereign identity those are use cases uh and, and again there, there are lots of companies working on these kind of things you know our work can contribute to it and, and does in some situations, but we also do work that has nothing to do with, you know, with uh, decentralized identity. It's really much more about, for instance, um, you know, proving things happen, authenticity of transactions, um, you know, kind of verification of, of things like consent, you know, stuff like that. So, so that, you know, it's not just one use case, right? I think that the identity one is, is definitely a use case and is very much in this privacy space that we're in. Uh, but by, by no means the only thing. Okay. So um, you recently had a, I don't know, it's recent, it's probably been about a year for rights hash. Is that correct? Um, that you guys have been working on that. And yeah. um, I think that's um, something that applies to what you just said, um, where um, you have a consent agreement that's really easy that other people can incorporate into that. And maybe you could speak to the lattice structure of um, the hash graph that allows you to go and grab um, credentials or um, I'll let you explain how you would sure. like to. I feel like I would uh, say it wrong. Yeah, it's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, a couple of things. Yes, so we we did release Rice Hash about a year ago. Um, you know, and Rice Hash is, is a decentralized um, basically an engine, if you like it, because since, since mo most of our metaphors are around engine and, and components and things like this. And it really, what it allows you to do is, is to use an underlying uh, blockchain technology infrastructure. We use Hedera, as, as you mentioned. So to use Hedera behind the scenes to associate, and it's very important to, to understand, is, is the idea of associating um, uh, kind of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, two different digital assets, but specifically in, in our world is things like uh, consent, um, things like, like uh, healthcare data, um, healthcare transactions and, and things like this, as opposed to, for instance, board apes uh, or music or things like this, right? We were, most of our focus, you know, with the NFTs is really this, this idea of a non-fungible token representing something that's unique, it's global, it's indivisible, then it allows you in turn to, to show, at the very least, show authenticity, right? Um, when we're thinking about, uh, like, for instance, the board Ape model of, of NFTs, as, you know, commonly talked about, um, it's much more about the arbitrage. It's much more about, you know, like a holding asset that is or a collectible where the value goes up and, you go to a place like OpenSea and, and you, you 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 sell it and, and you got uh, you know kind of uh, royalties and things like this. That that certainly is a use case. It's by no means the only use case for for non fungible tokens. So, so the, the, where we're at, you know, and the kind of enterprise work that we do or privacy work we do, it's really not largely not about this idea of creating uh, arbitrage or 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 like a um, marketplace off of these these things such as a consent is much more about, you know, validating their authenticity, validating that, for instance, uh, if you provide a consent to, to be possibly included in uh, a clinical trial, that that consent is still valid. 
that that the the relative compliance they need to prove whether it's like something like a GDPR compliance or or, or HIPAA or, or whatever it happens to be that those check marks are, are there and they're valid and that if you happen to for instance um, revoke your consent that is also reflected in real time and 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 the token you know shows that because oftentimes. You know, in our lingo, we talk about like the happy path for software development versus the alternatives. Oftentimes, the happy path in, in healthcare is is fine. Like, you know, if you happen to get sick and you go to your your hospital, right? You know, they happen to have their your records. They know what's going on and you're treated correctly. But but what if it's not the happy path? What what if you know you're overseas? What what if you go on an emergency basis? Many times, and I think you know the. Practitioners, physicians have seen this many, many times over. Where now you're asking the patient, you know, under duress, you know, like, like, what was the last medicine they took, and and you know, their medical history, and and you know, like uh, all these things that they may not really know or may not be accurate, and and this idea of can you with authenticity prove something, you know, whether it's consent for a clinical trial, whether it's, it's uh, like like the, the last synchronization of a health record. All those things have real practical implications, and that's our focus, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as, as kind of, and then going back to the comment, right, about like you know Hashgraph or Hedera um, mm-hmm. mentioned that the, the lattice framework. So, so Hedera is is really some, another um, distributed ledger technology, and it uses uh, it uses this algorithm, Hashgraph algorithm, that that basically mathematically is proven to be the most optimal way to get to consensus. Right, you know, and I, I won't get into all the details behind it, but the, the net of it is is very, very fast. It's incredibly scalable. It's incredibly cheap, and the price is stable. It's, it's based on U.S. dollar stable pricing. Therefore, it allows people like us as developers to to embed it, bake it into our solutions in a highly reliable way. Yeah, I I have people all the time who try to tell me. Oh, H bar, H bar, it's it never goes anywhere. And I'm like, well, I mean, if you're going to try to make a lot of money on it, I don't know if that really is, unless I don't know. I guess you could put in five million dollars and wait for it to go up three cents, but um, <laughs> that's and make a make some money on it that way. Um, well, you so, know, I mean, to me, that again, we could have an entire conversation about this at a different time. We all really, and I think hopefully everybody does, we need to separate cryptocurrency speculation versus utility because, I mean, we're in such, it's a weird, really weird time. It's, it's like dot-com back in the day, like 20 uh-huh. years ago, whereas all this stuff is, as it's immense, is at its infancy, and you have a lot of speculators, you know, who see an opportunity or they've heard of, hey, like, you know, Bob, you know, bought two Bitcoins and now he's a billionaire, things like this, right? So they see an opportunity to kind of like pump and dump. They, they see an opportunity to, to basically create financial scenarios more or less out of nothing. Yeah. That's where, wherever that is, that's not what we do, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's like largely ludicrous. And I think a lot of these cryptocurrencies will disappear because end of the day, the, the actual protocol behind them has no real utility or it's largely a scam or it's, it's largely set up for the first initial set of like, you know, either the, the founders or initial set of investors to, to be able to do the arbitrage of pump and dump. Mm-hmm. That's all garbage, right? And, and hopefully there'll be regulations in time 
uh, and, and the regulators will be smart enough to, to, to like suss out these kind of people. But, but there are a few like legitimate protocols like Ethereum, like Hashgraph and a few other ones where there is real utility, where, where you could have companies, Fortune 500 companies, like the Googles and IBMs and Boeing, you know, and so on, DLA Piper at, on, on Hedera's Council, that they make a commitment to it. That's a whole different scenario that we're talking about than, than you know, is the HBAR token going up or down? I mean, who, you know, yeah. honestly, does it matter? Yes, it does matter because it, it reflects like network, uh, basically network effect. Mm -hmm. But is that the focus of the conversation, what we're trying to do? Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I agree with you that uh, the actual level one chains and those things will come forward with the actual utility. And I just see so many coins um, rocket so fast that it's like, okay, from point ten thousand one cent to, yeah, it's it's really quite a quite a thing to see how many will go away in the next few years. Yeah. Um, I, I think I believe you're really good at uh, correct about that. So um, what some other projects that uh, you are doing, there's just so many that um, I wanted to perhaps go into um, the privacy fund. Um, if you wanted to speak a little bit to that, please. Sure. Um, and this ties into pieces of identity for healthcare, if you would, um, and your opinion on that um, yeah. ACOR project. Sure. Uh, so just for a little bit of background, yeah. we, I guess myself, um, I work with the HBAR Foundation, uh, which is HBAR Foundation is really an independent foundation that was um, Funded, uh, funded and founded um, by Hedera and his council members about a year ago, last September. Its mission really is, is to basically grow the Hedera community, you know, simply, uh, and, and provide funding and grants to, to for startups and, and other organizations to do interesting things on network and, and increase utility. That's that's the foundation's mission. So what we do is, is that, you know, myself in, in collaboration with, with Foundation, we run what is called a privacy fund, you know, where we have an allocation of funds and, you know, and, and basically work with, um, with, with potential grantees, you know, who, who apply through the website to determine whether or not they're fit for, uh, you know, kind of either building or, or extending their, their existing applications, you know, with Hedera in the context of providing privacy preserve solutions or, or solutions in the privacy space, things such as digital identity or, or decentralized identity, but not just that, you know, we have, as an example, we have, uh, you know, one grantee, you know, who's uh, building basically what amounts to a network of networks solution, you know, privately and securely passing, for instance, healthcare data from one source to another source, you know, in a, in a way that's privacy preserved, but then uses Hedera to reflect the, the flow of transactions. So, so for instance, you know, because anytime you move something, obviously there, there's a cost involved, right? You know, there, there's nothing is for free. Like if you're traversing multiple networks and multiple databases, there's a toll to be paid. You know, and we can't just, you know, like like evaporate costs. There is a cost involved. But then we also have this context of, of in this Web3 world of, um, you know, consumers having not only rights, but also possibly, 
you know, control, financial control maybe, and, and, and the opportunity to be uh, remunerated, you know, for, for participating, for providing their information. So, so then, you know, some of these solutions like the, this privacy and network of network solution I was telling you about, WebShield, you know, what they offer is, is a way to kind of like um, articulate the, the, trans, the full digital transaction, right? And then, you know, fraction, you know, kind of basically fractionalize the revenue that kind of can be attributed to different uh, entities. Like, you know, th this network provider, people like Acor providing um, analytics, if you like, the actual, you know, patient or, or, or you know, data owner and so on and so forth. So, so that's one example. We have another example, a company called uh, Fiduciary Data that's providing uh, kind of, um, in fact, using our, our, our technology, RiceHash, to provide um, kind of uh, NFTs for, for tracking consent and, and not just healthcare consent, but other kinds of consent. You know, it could be, for instance, consent in a legal context for power of attorney or for banking purposes or, or for management of, of private keys. Again, that's a very, very big issue, Ryan, right? Because mm -hmm. not a, all, a lot of us, I suppose everybody on this call maybe has a digital wallet, right? And now on our phone or on our, you know, a ledger, you know, kind of USB thing or, or wherever, we're holding on to digital money, as example, or digital identity. But what, what happens if, if we lose our private key, right? That's a really serious issue because if you, and, and again, you've seen it, right? This is popularizing people who've lost the, the password for the Bitcoin, you know, the, the stash of Bitcoin. And now like you had $500 million of Bitcoin that basically is lost. But that's a serious issue for looking at scale because, you know, is it realistic for, for your average, average mom and pop or really almost anyone to hold their private key and securely manage it. And what happens if they lose it? What, what yeah. happens if they get the password? So there's a whole industry, I think, that, that's beginning to, to wake up this, this idea that just like you have lawyers and fiduciaries for you know, like legal paperwork, like, like your uh, I mean like a, like notary public type thing or or or, or witnessing some type of transaction, you, you could and probably should have similar things for digital assets, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when, when you have a like imagine as example, if, if you know, let, let's just take this the scenario of digital identity, right? So, so we create like I have a decentralized identity that that you know I've created using uh, some kind of self-sovereign tool, right? Um, and then some authorizer, you know, let's say it's, it's um, um, Georgia Department of, of of Motor Vehicles. I live in Atlanta. They authorize it, but I'm the only one with the key, right? So. I lose my key. What happens to me? Do I now disappear? Am I no longer a person? Right? I mean, yeah. seriously, oh, it's yeah. a serious scenario. It's not yeah. because if that becomes, if your decentralized identity is your identity in some context or working, like if, if I wanted to go and prove to the DMV that I really am who I am and, and the proof was my private key and I don't have it, well, what, what do we have? So I think these are the kind of scenarios and, and the kind of use cases that, that we're really trying to like tease and, and, and kind of like bring out through the privacy fund. And, and we've had, you know, a huge amount of response from the, the market, you know, we've, uh, we've granted a number of, of grants already and had to tear down a number of other ones. And there's a big backlog just because I think people are beginning to understand, you know, what the scenarios are, what the use cases are and, and where you know, this kind of thing can, can make sense. So there is kind of, because blockchain has always been about ownership. So, uh, you know, it was all about owning your own keys at first, but now it's kind of hit the wall with the practical side. You know, like you said, uh, mom and pop, 
you know, lose their whole fortune. And, you know, they're not expected to keep 12, 24 words or however their wallet is secured. Uh, and then you have a multiplication of wallets and you're losing the interoperability that you were searching for the whole time, I think, yeah. through that process. Yeah, so, yeah. One thing I, I do want to clarify though is I, I think, you know, ownership is one way of looking at blockchain. I think to me, though, it's, it's more about removing intermediaries. It's, yeah. it's like decentralizing. Um, but so, so you want you want to get the autonomy. You want to remove you know the Zuckerbergs, you know, as as like the the controller of, of the information and by far the biggest beneficiary, right? That's what's happening. And, you know, you got two billion people providing content to Facebook. Yet Zuckerberg is the one who's who is completely disproportionately getting value, and not none of the rest of us are. Right? Mm -hmm. That makes Meta and Facebook, you know, the, the sole Amazon, Google, you name. I mean, you know, the, the, the four horsemen are certainly all, you know, in this scenario, uh, and and many other companies, right? You know, and, and all these. By the way, there's all these like much more anonymous data aggregators, and and the, you know, I, I won't name them, but but you know who they are. You know, they make they make money on on, on, on like secondhand data, right? You know, and not even good data, and 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 they have their own proprietary indexes. So the whole idea is, look, we can use distributed ledger technology to to disintermediate that, to to remove that and disrupt that that model, which is really not good for anyone other than the entities who ultimately control the key. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea of ownership isn't necessarily the same thing because you could have ownership, yet you could have fiduciary, even with with blockchain, you could have fiduciary type of of or like no republic type services and other services that allow you to safeguard your keys better, mm. as opposed to so you're not displacing ownership back into one central organization, which is not what we want, but you're just providing some more measures just in case, like, like the, the rainy day scenario, or just in case, you know, there's a catastrophe or whatever. And I think that's completely appropriate, mm -hmm. right? And, and that doesn't violate the idea of, of having blockchain or public ledger. Uh, I, I think it just makes it more practical and more, realistic because look you have ordinary people all of us like people buying like these nfts i, I mean who knows what the heck they are really mm -hmm. they just hear from their friend hey or, or they buy cryptocurrency but but then should you have a punitive situation where, where you like lose all that investment or opportunity just because you forgot your password that doesn't seem fair that doesn't seem right and i think that's what we're talking about is is okay no no we don't want to give you know meta all the power of, of the metaverse, which is what they want. Yeah. Because, because that, again, that only benefits them. But we also don't want to have a scenario where we're like, you go on, I mean, this is literal examples where you, you bought all these like digital like clothing on, on the metaverse for thousands of real US dollars. And now you forget your passport and, and all that disappears. That's not a good, you know, I mean, you can't have those extremes. There's, there's ways you can bridge these. And I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think you're right about that. Um, and so on the Privacy Market Development Fund, you, I think we were talking last time we talked about how you use non-fungible tokens to privately and uniquely anchor consumer rights, which is well, basically what we were talking about. And that doesn't necessarily apply to healthcare. So uh, that goes in with your- It may, it may, again, depends on the use case. So I, I give yeah. you some, some discrete use cases. So certainly in the, in the context of consent, it does completely. Mm -hmm. Consent for, for your data to be shared, consent for your data to, um, or, or your rights to be viewed, even viewed, right? Because yeah, you know, and then 
certainly consent to be involved in some kind of a marketplace scenario. All, all of those things are, I think, definitely there. I think the idea of taking, for instance, certain discrete data sets, like for instance, your, your eye scan data, as you guys, I'm sure you guys know better than I do, you know, eye scan data can, can help detect early disease, chronic diseases, diabetes, you name it, all kinds of things. If you take a snapshot of, of your, your full digital eye scan data and then use that or provide it in some kind of a privacy preserved anchored way to like an NFT for, for ethical usage, that can really help research. Yeah. Right? So are you giving all of your healthcare data? No, that's not the idea. The idea isn't that, that you're, you're, you're providing your entire EHR record and that's not even practical really. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, so... And, and then this this idea that then your data becomes part of a larger anonymized, you know, kind of like cohort of data, which is happening right now, right? I mean, you have companies like IKB that have made a, you know, giant business out of it. But do we as individuals get any kind of right or any kind of remuneration in it? The answer is, you know, hell no, right? Well, of course we don't. Yeah. And, and same thing with where you had like three or four years ago where Ascension Health and Google kind of combined, you know, in, under the guise of, you know, doing AI, and 50 million people's records were, you know, exposed to, you know, raw records, not anonymized records, were exposed to Google. Well, but none of those 50 million people provided consent uh, or, or, or had any kind of a right in that data being used, right? You know, Google is doing whatever it's doing. So all of those scenarios, you could have some degree of transparency and, and authenticity of, of what's really happening by having, you know, NFTs that then anchor not they don't share the data, but they just anchor transactions associated to the data, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's what it is very, very important to understand. You know, and, and I've had this conversation with, with people, not somebody like yourself, obviously, you know what's going on, but people think we're talking about putting healthcare data on, on a blockchain, public blockchain. Mm-hmm. That's ludicrous. Yeah, nobody's doing it. I mean, the U.S., first of all, the data is, is owned by license. But by people like Epic and Cerner. So good luck getting good luck displacing a license. I mean, yeah. it took like 50 years to to have the Cures Act passed just to just to remove information blocking and allow people to get to their health data without all of the the you know kind of well, even now it's 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 an extract of data. It's not all of it, it's not usable, but regardless, it's better than what it was, right? Yeah. But, but the point is we're not saying we're gonna put healthcare data on a public blockchain. There's privacy issues, there's all kinds of ethical issues with that, right? What yeah. we're talking about is, is the data resides where it is, but every time somebody reads it or writes to it or whatever, or, or synchronize, there, there's a privacy preserving transaction that shows up that says, hey, uh, you know, on this, it's kind of like when, when somebody uses your credit card, you know, well, we- on this date, somebody like, you know, did, did a trans or did a lookup on your, your credit score, you know, was this valid or, or, you know, should you have some kind of a say in it? Mm-hmm. So it's, would you say it's more of like an Oracle or connection to that single point of validity um, or? Yeah. I don't I like mean, the, not an actual Oracle, but yeah, in a metaphor of way. Of course. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. like use, use the word Oracle because I think it's, 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 uh, it's so overloaded. It's used in, in different ways. It, and people yeah. who don't necessarily know what, what it means. To me, I, I like the idea of an anchor. You know, the, okay. it's, you know it's, it's an anchor. And then again, we can demonstrate this pretty easily with our technology where, where you know, you, you have, as example, you have a, um, a, a reference. It's a global, like, like, like a long set of numbers that, that 
you cannot reverse engineer that that points to, for instance, your eye scan data. And every time, and that's the that's a non-fungible token, right? Yeah. And every time somebody just even looks at that data or does it does a search result and, and, and your data shows up, there is a transaction, another privacy preserved transaction, another long number transaction that shows up and says, oh, you know, on, on August 11th at uh, 11.45 Eastern time, you know, XYZ entity looked at your data. That provides a degree of transparency without divulging unnecessary amount of data. To us, that's a big step forward because right now, all this stuff is happening, you have no clue about it, right? I just made the example with Ascension Health. Yeah. yeah. So um, would you say that these are almost dynamic NFTs? Um, yeah, you know, again, I, I wouldn't, so dynamic NFT is, is a misnomer because yeah. there, is, there isn't such a thing as a dynamic NFT. Yeah, uh, but when I'm creating, searching for one. <laughs> I'm searching. Yeah, yeah. I, I miss, I, and I know it's you, I, I just like to be technically accurate because, yeah. because it's important and I think language is, is important. So an NFT, okay. once you create it, you know, it, 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 it's basically long number. It, it, you, that, that number doesn't change. Yeah. However, can it be dynamic in the context that it reflects associated transactions in real time? The mm. answer is absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what our technology does. So, yeah. so as an example, I take your, your consent to participate in, in Pfizer's next COVID-19, you know, um, COVID-24 uh, testing protocol, right? You know, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come back, but it's, it seems to be tied to the administration. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. so at that time, your consent, it goes through a process Every time somebody like reaches out to you and says, you know, let's arrive, you know, we'd like to take all this information from you to possibly include you in, in the next round of, of, of evaluation for this, for this COVID. That transaction shows up as a, as a discrete transaction on that original NFT. Mm-hmm. So it's dynamic in that context that you can reflect associated transactions, but it's not, there is no such thing as like a dynamic NFT where, where the NFT itself somehow it's evolving. Yeah, yeah. And every time I've seen someone say it, I investigate it, I'm like, no, no, that's that's not it. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's important to kind of separate marketing, you know, yeah, vernacular absolutely. versus like like yeah. legit, you know, kind of like <laughs> technically accurate terms. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um uh so we went into the last time we talked about if somebody were to give out credentials or give out some sort of, uh, I, I think you didn't like the word trustworthy, authentic information, who would be the distributor of that or who would be authorized to give that sort of NFT, like say the NFTs that's Epic and Cerner. Say you go there, you get a diagnostic test, they have that on there. Um, we consider that to be accurate information for that time at that point. Um, whether or not it can be reproduced. Um, do you have anything to say to um, um, reproducible results in NFTs and the... Um, um authentication of them i know we've already kind of touched sure. on it sure sure but, I'll a quick comment yeah this. so one thing again i think it's important that you, you brought this up is the data trustworthy just because we're using blockchain the answer is we don't know because again we're not putting the actual data 
on blockchain oftentimes. Yeah. We're, putting, we're putting a reference to data. So as an example, if I go to my doctor, right, you know, and, um, and this is like a, exactly a real scenario. And, and, and let's say that, um, let's just do a basic health check, right? I go in there and I'm just doing my physical, you know, and they take my weight and height and, and they take my, my temperature, right? If they put that information into my record incorrectly, right? You know, like, like my temperature was 97.2 and they put 99.7, something like that. Um, and then like immediately, as soon as that data is recorded, we do a, we do a data sampling, what we'll call a data sampling transaction and we record on Hedera that yes, on, on you know, August 11th at 11.48, you know, Jim NASA's data was, was changed or, or this, this data was, was um, recorded. We can, there's authenticity there, there's proof of authenticity because we use this NFT in a public ledger that yes, that information really was changed at that time. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. What we can't tell though is, is that data accurate? Because if somebody, you know, like fat fingered that data, who knows? I mean, you know, we don't know that. There's gonna be some other ways of, of like telling whether or not the data is, is trustworthy. But back to the other comment about like, well, what's the value of, of um, you know, kind of like, like, you know, a data that they could say is, is um, authentic. I think there's a lot of value in that because you can make a lot of decisions, right, off of, of data that, yeah, you know, again, we, you and I spoke about this uh, a little while ago about this idea that, okay, somebody, somebody goes into like blockchain healthcare today, like, you know, you publish results and here's your data set. And, and you know, you say, based off of this, here's my conclusion, here's the hypothesis, and here's, you know, what I'm claiming. And depending on what you're doing, there, there could be significant value to it. That could become like a like a uh, precedent for all kinds of other things that go forward, other things that people do or, or research, or whatever. Yeah. But oftentimes there's this issue of reproducibility. Like you make the claim, but then we all know we've seen this that many times the, the data is cherry picked. Yeah, pick the data that fits the the use case and the hypothesis, as opposed to all of the raw data. So the result is not reproducible later in time or by a different group or, or whatever. And I think what we can do is, is we can show this idea of if you have the full, you know, if you have access to full like, like cord of data, you can show authenticity of data, good, bad, and different. I yeah. think that's a very, very important thing that, that you, can, you can show that the data came from the full data set, not just a selective range of it that met your predetermined criteria. Again, to me, that's a that's a very very important thing. We I give it like a different scenario. Uh, we track. We have this application called Flytash. We track um, basically movement of satellites, you know, around the world, as well as uh, you know movement of of, of uh, flights in real time uh, around Atlanta Airport, right? Just as an example, mm-hmm. that data is public data. You know, it's coming from public APIs that are proven. When we data sample it, now we can go back at any point in time and say with, with 100% kind of like authenticity that the data that, that we're looking at, because it was captured through secure APIs and, and, and it was proven over the course of time, that this data can be trusted um, or not trusted, this data can be shown to be authentic, right, for that period, for that range. And, and then we can, we can reflect what we have on, on the ledger to the actual data. And say, all right, and on again on August 11, here's here's a, a, the 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 flight pattern for this particular flight, 
And that could be used as an example for, you know, in case of, of crashes or, or like any number of other, other scenarios, right? So, so that's where we're taking data that essentially is, is public in some way, but providing this, this additional degree of, of authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly if you took semi-public data or, or private data, and you could do the same thing with a public ledger, the value that they're going to kind of garner and generate is, is significantly higher because now it's data that they, you don't just take my word for it. You, you know, like you don't have to take Jim's word for it as authentic. Here's a public ledger using cryptography that's proving that data is authentic. Wonderful. Okay. Um, okay. Um, and we were speaking to the token model uh, yesterday about. Mm-hmm. Um, how one thing doesn't necessarily uh, necessitate um, <laughs> the need for a token model. And um, would you like to speak to that about um, a token model that you foresee perhaps interchanging with healthcare? And yeah, uh, I mean, what I would say is, first of all, it's, I think the germane point, Ryan, you know, and, and we discussed it, is that. Just because, for instance, you have a non-fungible token, it doesn't mean you're doing a full token economics model, right? It doesn't mean yeah. that, that you're going to have, you're going to be, quote, minting your own token. It doesn't mean you're going to have it on an exchange. It doesn't mean you're going to be selling it to anyone, right? Yeah. All of those things are scenarios, and you may want to do it, but but you have to really think through what doesn't make sense. In our case, when I was, I was talking about using NFTs for proving authenticity of something, we are not planning on putting those on a, selling those or minting those tokens, they're really a, a kind of a lower level kind of grade token that, you know, that we're using to prove something. Yeah. Right? We think there's value. However, there's definitely scenarios, particularly when you have consumers directly involved in creating value, right? <laughs> Excuse me. So we have another client, Help Ready. Um, they are involved in, in, in the process of, of improving patient recruitment for rare diseases, such as you know, rare cancer, uh, cancer or, or liver diseases and things like this, where they're engaging, physically engaging with, with patients or advocacy groups, but separately engaging with uh, clinical researchers, you know, in, the, in those space, in pharmas and, and CROs and such. So in this scenario, you know, the two things kind of are playing. One is how do you, how do you incentivize the patients to engage, to pull their health records using a mobile app, keep it synchronized, go through additional steps to, to like look at potential clinical trials, to go through inclusion, exclusion. It's, it's frictiony. There's friction involved, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just it's not just something that's that's uh, you know kind of like like in, in the space you have to have to do things. And then how do you in turn also provide a mechanism for growing this so it becomes more than just one little group, but then you know, like you see, like 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 a self-propelling way to to fund the growth of the platform, to bring in more researchers, to bring in more patients. In that scenario, the idea of minting a token, incentivizing patients to basically play, to captivate them, and then keep growing the network does make sense, most yeah. likely. And that's where you can reward them. You where you could have tokens. The tokens can be. Uh, much more liquid and they can be exchanged on an exchange or, or they could be exchanged for healthcare points, you know, you know that's yeah. a scenario where the full token economics model makes a whole lot more sense mm-hmm. than the scenario where all you're trying to do is, is prove authenticity of, of a transaction. 
Yeah. And the tokens represent a value. They don't represent a financial uh, really kind of, uh, at least on the user end level. Um, it's, uh, it's a value, but it could be, it could be financial if, if it's, if you follow the model and it's truly like a um, kind of a, uh, um, uh, what would be it? Like, like, like a marketplace mm -hmm. for that token. Cause, cause end of the day, you know, it, you know, if, if you say, say if you have like 10 gym tokens, but the only thing that's useful for is, you know, within gym app. Well, then how useful is it? I mean, really, how useful? I mean, it's not that useful, right? Right? Yeah. But, but if, if your 10 gym tokens could be converted to $1. Yeah. You think like Binance or, or Coinbase or any number of other places, now there's like material value to it. And that's really where you need to go because if, if the token is only providing internal, like in-app, like or in-game kind of value, but really nothing outside of that context, it's pretty limited, and therefore you really don't need this full token economics. So, so I, I think again, this, this is where it gets a little bit, you know, kind of complicated because not not necessarily complicated, but but it's nuanced. You have to really think about what is it you're trying to do, what what's what's the end end game, how do you get there, and how do you do it in a way where it doesn't become scammy because i think the big issue with a lot of these these ideas where you mint your own tokens is that very quickly it becomes quite scammy you know it mm -hmm. becomes like yeah. oh, there, there's a whale there's a quote whale that buys a whole bunch there's a pump and dump it's not really thought through well enough so yeah. the average user or the average investor gets screwed whereas the founders or one or two quote whales they do really well and they get out and i think that's where the reputation for, for these kind of token economics has taken a big hit, especially in recent times, because it's been, impl it's been implemented really, really poorly. Mm -hmm. so the ideas have been good. Maybe the intentions were good, but it was yeah. implemented extremely poorly. As a result, what you wind up with is something that, that most people would consider a scam. And with health, you, you can't really leave someone holding the bag, um, if you will, um, at the end. Um, that is a big ethical concern for people in medicine that that can happen. Absolutely, yeah. it is, but but it unfortunately, happens in real life already. Yeah. It's not yeah. under the guise of talking economics. <laughs> also, to be yeah. fair, it happens. It has yeah. happened with a lot of the ICOs and such. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, ask a lot of dogey people too. I, I think they'll tell you that. Um, so, in conclusion, since we're coming down to the last few minutes. Um, Digital identity for healthcare is really a far way off for any kind of um, widespread institutional adoption. Um, I think it can be perhaps done at a hospital level <clears throat> per hospital, and it um, already is to some degree um, and can be transferred. As far as digital identity creating digital liquidity, liquidity we kind of touched that on the end there. Um, if that is something you, um, does that, am I mischaracterizing the statement? Well, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's a bigger concept than just identity. I think identity is one angle and I certainly would not be one to, to want to promote in any way, you know, provide the, or, or even give the indication that there's a subtext for, for like selling. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, definitely don't. One yeah. thing I would say though is I feel like. You know, just to be clear in terms of decentralized identity and, and self-sovereign identity. 
<clears throat> technically speaking, we're not that far away at all. In fact, there's some up and coming promising implementations and there's a what's called the DID standard, a decentralized identifier standard that, that is, it's out there, you know, it's, it's, it's out there by Oasis and it's, it's approved and, you know, people are building on it. There are two major issues. Major issue number one is that there is no one implementation that really has caught on, has got an adoption, you know, or, or, or different big vendors have kind of bought into. So there's competing implementations off of a standard that's really in its infancy. The second and perhaps even bigger issue is that who are the authorizers, right? Because like, like, am I going to be able to create like Jim Nasser's independent identity by myself? You know, and, and like, I could, I could make, I could make all kinds of claims. I could, I could claim I live in Switzerland. I can, I get all kinds of things. I could claim I live, I'm six or eight or any, any number of other things. Who's going to authorize that? Yeah. You know, I think that's, a, and, and that's a difficult thing because are the governments going to do it? They're, that's a natural place to look, but they're woefully inadequate right now, you know, around that. With the exception of a few countries like Estonia, maybe New Zealand, maybe Australia, maybe India. In the US, certainly it's, it's a non-starter right now. But then what is the incentive for, for an independent third party or even like a even like a bank or a law firm to do it? There's a lot of liability that goes into it. And, and where is like where is the revenue model? Yeah. Like, 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 am, am I is Jim serious to get am I willing to pay like a thousand dollars to create a decentralized identity for myself? Hell mm -hmm. no. I mean, so I think these are like real concerns. Those two are, are real concerns that are gonna, people are working through that, that will, are gonna slow things down. And certainly when it comes to healthcare, I think it's, you know, you know the big issue in healthcare is silo data. So for hospitals and networks or whatever, creating their own digital identities and decentralized identities and creating more silos and mm. more standards. I mean, that is a nightmare, right? You know, yeah. and that's the last thing anybody wants. Um, so, so I think th those are some of the practical difficulties. Yeah. Well, it's getting there. Um, we are looking for, um, usable use cases and, uh, have you seen the proof of humanity? Um, yes, uh, I have, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's not one that's, again, there's a lot that's going on in the ESG yeah. space. I'm bundling into ESG. It's, it's not. I suggest yes, she yes, it's going on. I think there's a lot that's going on to help the underserved, the underbanked, you know, yeah. the, the, the unidentified, you know, the immigrants, especially now what's going on with Ukraine, of course, 12 yeah. million displaced. So yes, it's not directly in our hairpin, but and I think there's a question from Varun, and, and I'm gonna address, I'm gonna bundle it. Um, so the answer is yes, we certainly do more than healthcare. You know, we're we're doing healthcare privacy. We have a couple of clients in like you know, like left field, like entertainment fields, because our, our whole focus is um, basically building the gears horizontally. But I would say, going back to, to your comment also, that a lot of like things like decentralized identities and digital identities and things like this, their applications are really universal. And in order for them to be adopted, you have to think that way. You have to think about, like for instance, one wallet, one digital wallet, right? Take containing multiple kinds of cryptocurrencies, containing hopefully just one decentralized identifier for you, um, multiple consents. Imagine, you know, imagine if, if you had like uh, 50 different last passes for, for storing all of the different passwords that you have. That, that would be ludicrous. Nobody yeah. would ever do it. You know, imagine having like 50 physical wallets 
Like, you know, when you go out at night, you're going to wear this. When you go to the bank, you're going to wear this bank. Mm-hmm. Well, like, none of that makes any kind of sense. So that's really, that's what we have to be thinking. And, yeah. and so the healthcare is, is important and it, it, it very important, but it's, it's got to, in this Web3 context, it's got to fit in mm-hmm. to this larger context of, of one consumer, one creator, not, not like 50 variations of that person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you see the next question there? Uh, what gears are you building from? Yeah, it's, to it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's largely, I think, again, we use the gears as a metaphor, but it's largely open APIs around, like I mentioned, managing people's rights, managing digital rights and, and uh, or not digital rights, managing um, rights of individuals digitally. It's, we're not like managing digital rights of music and things like this. Um, doing basically validation of transactions in real time for, for any number of use cases, you know, whether it's like uh, mortality, uh, you know, for, for substance abuse or, or uh, you know, um, tracking, uh, for instance, COVID uh, question or responses, you know, there's all kinds of things. Um, so so th- those, those are kind of like primary things. And then of course we do a lot of work around like really large data work. You know, I, I hesitate saying, Big data, because again, that's such a misnomer. But but we do. You guys probably have seen on our website. We have all kinds of trackers. For instance, clinicalchild.gov is publicly available through our analytics engine. So we do a lot of work with taking data and, and, and visualizing it, making it very easy to consume, and then data sampling it so you know it's, it's authentic. Like the last, you know, this this data really came from NIH. You know, it was really last updated at this time, and here's digital proof. Not rather, here's cryptographic proof showing it. So those are the kind of things that we're doing. Those are the gears we're building. And then we have clients in different industries. Like as example, we have a client, just a new one, uh, you know, in, in the, the industry around managing athletes' uh, rights. Not, not just digital rights, but rights in terms of contract rights and image rights and things like this, which has nothing to do with like my background or, or what Acor traditionally does. However, it has everything to do with using a tool like RiceHash, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and again, this is the metaphor that I was, I was describing that we were, we're building the movement and there are different watchmakers attack power and there's Omega and, you know, and they're building their, their watches, you know, around some of our movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. Can building a centralized wallet that holds decentralized tokens work? Um, is that something, are you talking about maybe NFT gated Baru, perhaps? Well, I mean, wallets, you know, again, so wallets is an application, right? It's, yeah. Whether it's centralized or decentralized, you know, it's really like, so you think about like the most popular wallet is, is what's called MetaMask, right? You know, it's, it's, it's out there, you know, you, 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 it's an extension on your browser, right? Um, what, what you really don't want to do though is, is again, build critical components that are centralized because now you're saying that you know, one company essentially is, is the, the arbitrator of a lot of things that then are supposed to be decentralized. So I, I think that's that's our thinking is, is these critical like infrastructure components, utilities, things, it, at the very least, they need to be in public domain, like, like open source, uh, open APIs, and not within like, you know, if it, it would be very, very like, um, I think, dangerous to have like one wallet maker like let's say facebook is is the wallet maker of choice for everybody's like tokens right because now we have we, we have made one entity 
inadvertently the central like kind of guardian for all the things that we're trying to decentralize. Yeah, we so, already want to do that. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we went a little bit over. That's fine with me. Um, so um, any last minute things you want to say, future things for ACOR, Jim? Um, yeah, I think that the future for us, you know, we, we see it as, as kind of continuing down this path of, of hopefully building, um, well, really two things, right? One is, is to kind of keep driving this, the, the healthcare agenda that we have because we really, we believe in it firmly and, and it's, it motivates me, motivates the company. We think there's, there's like human value in that. And it's not just about business and money and, and things like the innovation or whatever. Um, but then the other thing is, is hopefully having conversations like this where, where people outside of healthcare or, or like in other industries hear something and they say, oh, wow, this, this, this metaphor, this gear metaphor or API metaphor or whatever actually kind of resonates and echoes with us. Maybe we could, you know, take some of these things that they build or are building and, and apply them in our industry in a novel way. I'll give you an example. I had a conversation with, with a gentleman just last week and, and they're in uh, kind of the gas and oil industry where we have absolutely zero background, no, no knowledge, you know, yeah, basically no, no interest directly. But the conversation, you know, kind of led into this, well, they could actually use our technology, but in, in their context, right? So, so we're not going to become the oil and gas machine maker, right? Because that, we know nothing about it. It makes no sense. But there's no reason why those machine makers couldn't use our technology. So driving this idea more and more, I think it's important because end of the day, building serious enterprise-grade blockchain technologies is not easy, right? It's like, like I think it would be foolish to just try and like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, like the illusion that all this stuff is easy. It's really not easy. And if you build it badly, you don't get an adoption. You get, I was making this comment about token economics that if, if you do it in a way that's really not very considered and thought through long-term, it comes across as being very scammy. It's the same kind of thing. You, you, you use blockchain technology, you don't do it correctly. You know, it, it fails. You know, now you, you've really regressed. Now you, 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 you know, you create a bad feeling. And we don't want to do that, right? We want we want companies to be successful, you know. So, so I think that's really our, our thinking is is let's you know we do our piece correctly. Hopefully, they build their applications well, and then the, the net result is positive for you know for for the industry or for the the clients. Excellent. Okay, Jim. I guess we have to draw to a close. Um, thank you very much for coming. Unless there's an oh, which medium is the best way to connect with you? Uh, I just put in my okay. um, email and Twitter. I think those are the best. Uh, LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. I, I usually get, again, going back to scamming comment, I get, I get tons and tons of LinkedIn stuff and a lot of it is scam. I feel like there's a, there's a whole... Oh, um, God. Uh, like, like Chinese and, and, and Indian like mafia set up where they're creating all these like fake profiles, you know, and, and um, mm. you know, it's... So you're having a problem with the bot, bot friend, bot connections. Yeah, too, there's huh? there's a lot of that. So so LinkedIn sometimes I just get overwhelmed with the amount of, and sometimes I miss legitimate things because because there's just so much it's garbage. True. It's true. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, um, yeah. That another topic for another day. But um, I I look forward to seeing you in September. I hope to see some other people there in September for our annual conference. And I thank everyone for coming today. Um, 
and I hope you got something good out of it. All right. Uh, this ends our Blockchain and Healthcare Today Utility and Healthcare Series with Jim Nasser and Acor. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Ryan. Right. I appreciate Thank it. Bye-bye.